and welcome back to the Dreamcast. I am your host, Denise Walsh. I combine science, scripture, and stories that will inspire you to dive deep, break through your own personal glass ceiling, and design a life of your dreams. Do you feel like you've not been able to make headway in achieving your goals? Or did you start the year pumped, ready to move forward on making things happen and simply lost your way? Things don't need to just get better. They actually can be better. In Design Your Dream Life, I'll show you a proven pathway to take you from where you are now to a life filled with joy, wholeness, success, and fulfillment. I'll give you the keys to not just developing a plan, but taking massive empowered action to make your dreams a reality. Turn roadblocks into stepping stones and leverage the power of gratitude and forgiveness. Let's face it, taking massive empowered action and making your dreams a reality isn't always easy. So I'll be there with you every step of the way. Visit dreamlifetoolkit.com to purchase your copy of Design Your Dream Life, obtain resources and join our free community. Again, that's dreamlifetoolkit.com. Big, big welcome back to the Dreamcast. Over the last 17 years, our guest has led numerous teams on Wall Street. And after establishing a consistent track record of success, he started his own consulting business. He now works with strong brands who have a well-funded idea, but don't quite know how to execute it. Since early 2019, he has had the wonderful opportunity to speak to audiences all over the world, including North America, Australia, and Europe. Big Dreamcast welcome to speaker, author, and entrepreneur, Lucas Root. Thank you. That was wonderful. Yay. Well, I'm excited to connect with you because I feel like the topics you are an expert in will speak directly to our audience because we are all budding entrepreneurs. We all have something to learn and we all love to learn from people who are three steps ahead of where we are. So before we dive into what you're doing now, I'd love to hear a bit about what got you here in the first place. Mm, Yeah, cool. I I saw this actually on Lindsey Vaughn's. I follow Lindsey Vaughn. I saw on Lindsey Vaughn's Instagram today. Everybody has a a seven bucks story, which is of course the rocks story, right? Seven bucks. Everyone knows that. Everybody has a seven bucks story and I do too. Nine years ago, I'm sitting down to dinner with my wife. I'm on Wall Street. I'm making great money. By all outward appearances, I have achieved success. Um, I'm sitting down for, for our anniversary dinner with my wife and she looks across the table at me and she says to me, you look like death. Yeah, um, we're still married. <laughs> <laughs> and she was 100% right. I actually have that picture somewhere. I'd be happy to share it if, if you want. And she was like, we need to start making some changes because if you keep going like this, you're going to waste away in a year or two, like soon. And I'm, I look at that picture now, nine years later, and I'm like, she, she was right. I, 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 I had an imminent heart attack coming and I didn't know it. Wow. What did she notice? Was it your face being white? Did you lose? Were you like underweight, overweight? What did she see in you that was like, this is not the right path? I I was underweight. My face was white, um, gaunt. I couldn't muster up a full smile. My eyes were sunken in. I had the like the really deep, dark circles underneath. It was horrible. Would you liken it to lack of sleep, too much stress? What do you think was the culprit? Definitely too much stress. I, even now, I don't sleep a lot. Five and a half hours, maybe six hours is, is plenty for me. Okay, six, so was- six and a half is almost binging. <laughs> 
So it was stress, really, that was getting to you. It was stress. It was work stress. It was money stress. I made good money, but trust me, even making good money, you still have money stress. It was way too long hours, not spending enough time for for my own mental and physical health. I was skinny. I wasn't going to the gym. I wasn't spending time with friends, getting getting social time in. You know, I wasn't hitting all of the non-nutritional nutrients that you need. Yeah. And I think we should think of them that way as like actual nutrients. You need them for health, but they're not nutritional. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great way to look at it because you're exactly right. We need social connection and physical activity just as much as we need vitamins and minerals. Yeah. So what did you do to get yourself out of this hole? I had sort of built a career path based on my capacity to pump out a massive amount of work, which is still true. At least that capacity is still there. So I was in a rut of my own creating. And the nice thing about that is that once you realize you're somewhere you don't want to be and you put yourself there, you can put yourself somewhere else. And so we started doing that. Now it took years. It it took actual years for us to engineer a path forward that allowed us to continue to have a good lifestyle and created the kind of health support that we needed outside of just eating good food. It took years, but we started that conversation right then. As soon as I had let that fully sink in, I was like, yeah, we, we got to make some changes. Let's, let's start talking about that. And, and when better to do that than on your anniversary dinner? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a good time to reflect, right? And be like, how long have we been married? And how is it going? And what do we need to change? And where do we want to go? Yep. And I think sometimes when people find themselves in a rut like this, it can feel really overwhelming. Like, uh, I'm not healthy. My friendships are lacking. I don't like my job. Like, everything needs to change. And that can lead to paralyzation because if we feel overwhelmed, we often don't even know where to start and then we do nothing. What was the first thing? What was kind of the easiest thing for you to start implementing first? Yeah. It, and you're 100% right. It's, it's incredibly overwhelming because, you know, the, the life that I was living was built on, you know, some foundational things. And as soon as you take those foundational things away and the money on Wall Street is good money, when you say I need to make a change and it it is going to result in me not being on Wall Street, well, how do I make as much money as I want to be making? Like how do I replace the thing that's making this lifestyle positive? So the first thing we did was we considered what are the things that I'm capable of that could generate that kind of income. At that point, I had started a couple of real estate businesses that had um, made a lot of money for other people, but none of them had made money for me. So we knew that I could start businesses that could create profit and create value. I had this career on Wall Street and the skills and, and some relationships that, that I had built over the years... And so there was the possibility of sort of leveraging those things, the, the, the skills, the assets, the, the knowledge and experience that I put together. We always, at every point in our life, we always are master of something. This is true for every single person who's listening, by the way. You are a master of something. And if you can figure out what that thing is that you're the master of, you can find people who really want to buy your mastery from you. And that was true for me then. And it was overwhelming because... I had people that were buying my mastery from me and they were paying me really good money for it. And I didn't have other people that were lining up saying, well, hey, we want to buy your mastery from you instead of the people you're selling it to right now. And you have to build that pipeline. You have to rebuild. But it's just a pipeline, right? Wall Street is a pipeline. It's not really a job. I thought it was a job, but it's not really a job. It's a pipeline of customers for my mastery. 
And the process of reframing my understanding of exactly what a job is, a pipeline of customers for my mastery. And the reason why, by the way, for all of you who are wondering why you're always constantly getting paid less than you think you're worth, well, providing that pipeline has a cost. Right? right now, I have a quote in my phone for one of my businesses for $5,000 to provide a pipeline of customers right now. Providing that pipeline has value. So let's say I'm worth $160,000 a year, just for example. It costs $5,000 to provide a pipeline of customers. So if I'm worth $160,000, then my job is extracting that $5,000 a month, which is $60,000 a year and paying me what's left over $100,000 a year. So if you think you're worth $160,000 a year and you're getting $100,000 a year, probably the difference between what you think you're worth and what you're actually receiving is the cost of providing that pipeline of customers that want to buy your mastery from you. And you can rebuild that yourself. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes study. It takes knowledge. It takes listening to this podcast, right? Because your guests are coming on telling people exactly what they need to do to build a pipeline. And I had to go through that process too. And it took me years. I mean, truly, it took me years. So I did two things. First, I started a blog. And starting a blog is not a big thing these days. But back in 2011, it was what I needed to do in order to start understanding what it takes to build a pipeline. Now, my blog was on food. And I'm really glad that I started the blog on food because I never really had any intention of monetizing that. But food is really good clickbait. Food and bikinis. <laughs> and, and me with food and a bikini? No, I'm just kidding. Um <laughs> It's, it's true. Food and bikinis are really good clickbait. And it's an amazing experience to have thousands upon thousands of people clicking on your stuff every single day saying, oh, this is cool. And then spending time thinking about how to optimize that pipeline. Now, I didn't have anything to sell those people. So I was really just learning about the process of building a pipeline. And I got pretty good at it. By 2014, three years later, I thought I knew enough about building a pipeline that I could start to build a pipeline for the things that I know I can sell for good money, which was the skills and experience that I was selling on Wall Street. So it took three years for me to get to the point where I thought I was good at building a pipeline. And that's when I started my consulting company. I reached out to everybody I knew who I'd ever interacted with that, that does currently hire consultants, all of them. Hey, you hire consultants. I'm starting my consulting company. Let's chat. All of them said yes for your listeners. Anyone who knows you is always willing to chat. They aren't necessarily willing to chat about buying from you, but they're always willing to chat. They'll answer the phone. They'll talk to you about the process. What are they buying from their current vendors, suppliers? What are they selling to their customers? What does that process look like? So that you can understand and start to mirror the success of that relationship that they have with their vendors. You're not going to be able to take over unless they've been sitting there waiting for you to say, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. And probably you have some people in your network where that's true. They have been sitting there waiting for you to say that. But you have to have those phone calls in order to, number one, understand what it looks like, really, truly, what it looks like to be ready to sell and to identify the few people who actually are sitting there waiting for you to say, I'm ready. <laughs> right. Well, and it sounds like the first thing that you 
once you have your product or service in mind um, and you feel like, all right, you know the value you can bring to somebody, you really just had to tell people that your doors are open for business. And one way to do that is to have this kind of discovery call with people where you go to coffee or on a Zoom or whatever, and you ask them questions about what they do and what it looks like and uh, get them talking about what they need, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? So you can, in a sense, pick their brain and learn from them, but then also see if there's a way that you could help support them in what they need. But I like that you said that this conversation is not necessarily a sales conversation. This is a discovery conversation where you're letting your network know, I'm open for business. Let's connect. I'll tell you what I'm up to. You tell me what you're up to. Because the cool thing is, is since they already like, know, and trust you, they will probably know five other people to introduce you to. And it can start getting the ball rolling, you think? Yeah, 100%. I didn't ask for a sale on any of them. I told them right up front, I'm open for business. What I really want from this conversation is to connect and have a, you know, have a good conversation and enjoy some good coffee. And also to understand the way that you engage with other service providers who are like me so that I can mirror that. And I said it just like that. Yeah. You know, I think we try to reinvent so many things that are already being done well, (laughs) that I love that. Find someone you can duplicate in a sense and then duplicate them. And of course you'll be your own style and nobody's ever exactly the same. And so it'll always look a little different, but I find that's been one of my keys to success is find someone three steps ahead of me, learn from them and then go do it in my own way. But then you have a path to follow and you don't have to try to like, chop down the jungle as you're walking. <laughs> that's, that's so well said. Yes. <laughs> All right. And so I know that throughout this time, you you work with businesses, you help them to build strong brands, um, but you do it in a way that it sounds like isn't just about branding and marketing. You really help with relationship building, connections, and then helping them thrive in the process. Is that right? That's exactly right. All right. So tell me more about what you do now. Mm, it's fun. My specialty um, and my my actual first paying customer was the Pokemon company. As soon as I hung up my flag, the Pokemon company called me up. They were one of the people who said, oh, I've been waiting for you. Awesome. <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Even to this day, I'm still and like... You never Please. know. I think one, one last thing or one one side note to that is I'll have people tell me, I don't know who's going to buy from me. And you're like, you're right. You know, you don't know. You never know. The how starts to show up as soon as you say. And sometimes it's even that energetic decision of like, yes, I'm doing this. I'm going for it. I'm going to stop waffling. I'm going to stop second guessing. I'm going to make a decision. People can start coming out of the woodwork that you never would have thought of or expected. And so trusting that process is key. And it sounds like that happened to you too. So, oh, okay, exactly keep going. Exactly like that. <laughs> There's no way I would have known that they were going to say, I'm ready for you. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So what did did, you do for them? I did not expect it. They're actually the perfect example of the customer that I serve. They think of themselves, um, and I happen to agree, but whether I agree or not is more or less irrelevant. They think of themselves as a brand, and they don't want to do anything that's not a brand activity. Okay? So... What that means is they create their customer. They create their customer stories. They create all of the um, content inside of their brand. As far as they're concerned, as soon as they're done creating the the customer, the customer story and the content, they're finished. And everything else that has to happen gets done by someone else. And that's where I come in. 
So I help them find vendors that want to sell plushies. And so those vendors go and make plushies and sell plushies that are Pokemon. I help them build an e-com presence. I help them find distributors and distributor relationships. All of the things that need to happen in order for them to successfully sell their branded product to their customers, they don't want to touch it. They want to be done once they've created that story and made it available. Wow. That's a powerful thing to recognize that even big brands like Pokemon don't need to have all the answers. They can outsource the things that either they're not good at or they don't want to be good at. (laughs) They don't want to spend their time doing. We always say focus on your strengths and outsource the rest. And even big brands do that. That's pretty cool to hear. They absolutely do. And they think that they're better because of it. I happen to agree, but I say it that way on purpose. They think they're better because of it because everybody's going to have an opinion on this. And really, I mean, they're successful. Maybe they'd be more successful if they didn't outsource more. I don't know, but, but they think that's their strength. And I happen to agree. Okay. So you really, um, you help them take their message and connect it with people who can distribute it and get it out into the masses. Yep. Awesome. Awesome. So when you first started working with brands, what was the biggest way that you found them? Did you choose online marketing strategies, network mark, like networking, you know, asking, reaching out? Um, how did you go find more people to fill your funnel? 100% network. Okay. Even today, 100% of my consulting clients are network clients. 100% of them. I haven't, I haven't actually brought in a single cold marketing consulting client. And, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not sure I would say yes to someone who came. <laughs> Isn't it funny though? Because there's some sort of trust that's built in if you yeah. have that mutual friend. Yep. That's it. I love that trust. I love to serve people that I already know and trust. I love to serve people that are in my network, in my family. I love to serve people that I know will be well served by it. It's not just providing a service. It's actually being of service. Right. I think that's in this day and age, back in my day, we'll just say, just kidding. I started my business in 07. (laughs) So we didn't have smartphones and Facebook and all these things. And so we had to do belly to belly and take coupons around and let people know we were open for business and ask for referrals and develop a referral program and things like that. And then over the years, so much has gone to online marketing strategies, which is great. But I often tell people who are starting their business that the fastest, most easiest way to start getting clients is through person to person, belly to belly, sitting down with coffee, letting people know you're open. Um, while you're kind of building your billboard online, you know, it's more like a billboard, let people know maybe you're for real, but it's not necessarily the way to go get new people. And I think it's sometimes lost in this social media age where everybody wants to be an influencer. (laughs) You can be an influencer, you know, call up your mother. You're an influencer. Um, call up your best friend. You're an influencer. This is not a joke. And you're 100% right. Belly to belly is the absolute best way to do business, hands down. Yeah. Look at the numbers. Like the closer you are to real, true, direct contact, the higher the numbers go. And it happens really quickly. So cold marketing on social media has a payback of the numbers are right now like one tenth of 1%. Tiny little numbers. So you need to get, you know, 10,000 eyeballs on your message in order to get one potential sale, 10,000 eyeballs for one sale. 
I can't call 10,000 people. And I guarantee you that if I tried, I would get a lot more than one sale. Right. Tried to make 10,000 phone calls, like I would get a lot more than one sale. Get on the phone. So how did the last few years impact you? You started the business right before things shut down. And I see here that you are really good at productivity and scheduling and like having your good routine. So you had to switch from being out in the marketplace into working from home. So tell me a bit of your tricks and tips for doing that. And it was a big switch. I was like the the old word, and this will age me a little bit. The old word is jet setter. (laughs) I was a jet setter. I was everywhere, all over the country. I had airline status, which isn't, by the way, such a good thing. It's like a consolation prize for living your life inside an airline. (laughs) One time I was sitting next to someone who was going to Asia and back just to build up points. So they could like flip in the system to become like diamond or something. I was like, this is interesting information. Okay, keep going. (laughs) Dedication. I'm not going to lie. I would do that. (laughs) Well, if you keep getting bumped over to first class, it might be worth it. (laughs) Again, it's it's a consolation prize. It truly is just a consolation prize. But if you have to be in the plane all the time, you might as well be in first class. (laughs) Right, right. Before I say PC, pre-corona, yeah, I was traveling once a month, working with people all over the country. And then all of a sudden it it stops and you have to pivot. So I was doing something like working from home because c- I was never in my office, right? I was I was always in somebody else's office. So it's, it's something like working from home. So the pivot for me was not drastic. You know, I went from trying to be productive in airports and trying to be productive in hotel rooms to building my own personal office in my second bedroom in my apartment here and being productive here. And so I gained back all the travel time, which was fantastic. But I lost all of the other things that go on when you show up to a physical office with your actual clients. And that was a big shift. So I, I did it. It was fine. And I continued to, to be productive. And what's funny, um, I call myself a business strategist. So before PC, pre-corona, it, it was hard for me to get people in my network to believe that they needed strategy help because the market had been going up for what, 11 years in a row, something like a really long time. You know, I don't need strategies. All I got to do is stay open. I'm going to make money. True. I was hearing this. As soon as Corona hit, everybody who knew me was calling me, Lucas, I need you. How are we going to survive this? How are we going to get through this? We need to have conversations. Let's do this right now. Awesome. So my consulting business exploded. I had all the work I wanted and I had more time because I wasn't on the planes anymore. I started doing things that I didn't know I was doing to make myself successful here in this desk. A month in, the Pokemon company called me up and said, you've been doing great for us. And all of our employees are not doing great. And we'd like to have a conversation about how to teach our employees to be productive like you apparently have learned how to be productive in the last month. (laughs) Can you help, please? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, sure, of course. The answer is always yes. Figure it out. (laughs) When the Pokemon company calls me and asks me for anything, the answer is always yes. There are other people I say thank you, but no to. They're not on the thank you, but no list. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I sat down for a week. I mean, and it took me a week to really think through functionally the things that I do that make it possible for me to be successful here in this desk day after day after day with no coworkers and no coffee breaks and no... Um, you know, walking to the, to the corner bodega to get a sandwich. None of that. It's all gone. 
And I re-engineered the day. I went through the entire process, minute by minute by minute, and I re-engineered the day. And then I compared my successful day now with what it looked like when I was going to an office. And I said, huh, it, it turns out there are elements in going to the office that weren't just external impositions. They were actually a structural framework that we can use that makes sense. That's not bad. And if we take those elements that were valuable and we understand the function of the value that they provided to us, we can build those back into our day now and add that productivity right back in where it left off, where we lost it. And there are a couple of really big tips. Number one, what you wear matters. Not because it matters what you look like on camera. That's not why. It's because we exist in a reality where every single time we make a meaningful change to ourselves, the world around it changes with us. And so the uniform that you wear to be productive is actually an energetic feedback loop. It's amazing. So you get up in the morning and you take off your PJs and you put on a collared shirt, not because it matters what you look like on camera, but because this is your productivity uniform in order to be productive at your desk. You wear this while you're working. When you're done, at the end of the day, you do the same thing. You change. You change states. And part of changing states is changing your clothes. So you take off the collared shirt, you put on the hoodie, and now all of a sudden you're in afternoon chill mode. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it kind of puts, it shifts your mind from relaxation to work and gives you that physical reminder. Yep. That big shift, these basically five different elements of being productive while you're in the office that I took and I started to rebuild them. Number one, work clothes, productivity uniform. Think of it in that. It's not, it's not work clothes. It's not office clothes. It's productivity uniform. Number two, when you get up in the morning and you have to hit certain deadlines in order to be successful at arriving at work on time to not be fired. And even if you're an entrepreneur, you can still be fired. You can be fired by your clients. You can be fired by your boss, which is yourself, and probably should be for the days that you decide that you want to slack off all day. And keep that in mind. Because there's you, the worker, and you, the boss. And sometimes those two people actually have to have a conversation. <laughs> and trust me, Ask I go yourself, through that. Would you hire you? <laughs> really? Would you keep you on? Would you pay yourself? Would you take yourself into the office and yell at yourself for showing up late day after day after day? This is a real thing. And it's a conversation you should be having with yourself. When you have to hit those specific deadlines in order to arrive at the office in, on time, each of those deadlines also provides a different benefit. We never do anything for just one reason. We always have more than one reason. So you take a shower because you need to be presentable. You also take a shower because it feels good to take a shower. You also take a shower because it changes your state. And I keep coming back to this phrase, changing your state. And we're going to come back to this. The shower changes your state. Putting on work clothes changes your state. Taking off work clothes changes your state. You go outside of the house to get to the car so that you can commute to work. The, the walking outside of your house, the actual physical movement, it actually matters. And you're like, but it's only like 100 feet. It's really not that big deal. What, what do you mean? It meant? No, it actually, I'm telling you, it actually matters. So put a morning walk in. 
it changes your state. Um, when you're commuting, ask yourself this, how many of you, and this includes me, are 100% attentive to the task of driving while you drive to work? The answer is zero. Nobody, not a, not a single person I know is 100% attentive to the task of driving. When you're driving, the driving is sort of second nature. It's muscle memory. It's like walking. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's kind of cool in that while you're doing that, your brain is wandering because you can't be playing on your cell phone. Your hands are on the steering wheel. You can't be reading a book. Your hands are on the steering wheel. So your brain is wandering. So you have this period of time every morning when you're going to the office that you have structured, scheduled boredom because you're bored. Driving car is not particularly exciting. And when it's exciting, we tell everybody about it. Oh my God, this happened. And then that happened. And then that happened. Driving is not supposed to be exciting, right? So you're bored. So your brain is wandering and it's structured boredom time. Now, I bring this up because again, structured boredom time is something that's actually really, really valuable in mental state maintenance. It's kind of like dreaming when you're sleeping, structured boredom time when you're awake. It allows your mind to start doing stuff, thinking of things, being creative, bringing up the problems of yesterday, working through them, feeling the anger that that you should have had from, from some interaction, feeling the excitement that you should have had from some interaction. All of that stuff is happening while you're driving because your brain is bored and that boredom is actually a really good thing. Now we're not commuting anymore. So we've lost that structured boredom time. Now we need to re-engineer that, bring it back into our lives, give ourselves some time to sit there and be bored. Now, most people think of that time as meditation. I love meditation. Structured boredom time and meditation can be the same thing, but they are not always. You got to give yourself the time to, to be bored and let your mind wander like you used to do when you were driving. Okay, now you're at work. And we've done a couple, we've done, again, every single morning, we have these things that we do to create state change and to open ourselves up to the day. And each of those things in sequence helps to build that productivity momentum at the beginning of the day. We take a shower, changes our state. We put on work clothes, changes our state. We go for a little walk, changes our state. We sit in the car, we get structured boredom time. We go for a little walk, we sit down at our desk. Okay, all of those things matter. Now we're at our desk. Now the day has begun, all right? And again, you take all of those things and you rebuild them back into your day, even when you're working from home. When you're at the office, there are certain things that happen that do not happen when you're at home. You don't take a coffee break with your coworker. You don't get interrupted by 17 people walking by your desk within an hour. You don't have three different conversations happening in cubicles and somebody catches your ear and you decide you want to take a break from work and go talk to those people about their kid or their dog. All of those things feel like they're taking away from your productivity while they're happening. And trust me, a micromanaging boss that's sitting in the corner office watching through their window is wondering, why aren't you working right now? Trust me when I say this, all of those distractions are meant to happen. They're natural. They help build up your mental resilience for a long day of good hard work. Those distractions are happening because you needed to be distracted at that moment. You needed to be distracted at that moment. For whatever reason, you needed to stand up and walk over and talk about somebody's dog. 
it's not because you needed to talk about the dog. It's because your body needed you to stand up. <laughs> you got distracted by your coworker to go for coffee. It's not because you needed the coffee. It's because you needed to go for a walk. You needed to have a conversation with another human who also happens to be your coworker, but it's the conversation with that another human that really mattered. So take those elements of things that used to be happening that felt like distractions, but engineer them back into your day and put them in places where they don't take you away from your most powerful productivity when you're being creative. So figure out when in the day your maximum creativity happens. And it's different for every person. Me, right? And in fact, by the way, it will change for you even as your life changes. Right now, my peak creative productivity happens in the morning. A year and a half ago, when the pandemic first started, my peak creativity happened in middle of the afternoon. So right now, I'm actually dealing with a schedule that I built a year and a half ago to maximize my capacity to access peak creative productivity in the afternoon. So I didn't have any meetings. All of my client meetings, I pushed to the mornings because that was when my brain was in admin mode. A year and a half, things have changed. Right now, I'm starting to move all of my meetings into the afternoon because that's when my brain is in admin mode. It's still productivity, but it's a different kind of productivity. And I need to protect my creative capacity. So those meetings, I consider them valuable. They're not distractions. They're not a waste of time. They're interaction with humans. And sometimes we talk about dogs. Cool. Is that all five? Yeah. Oh, okay. Perfect. 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 I thought there might be one more, but yeah, you're exactly right. I, uh, so how does somebody do that during the day when they like, does that mean a phone call? Does that mean talking with their, their family? Does that mean, okay. Yes. Think about the things that used to distract you. Right. And, and it felt like a distraction. So think about them like a distraction. Cause that's, what's going to help you remember. Right. And I'm telling you, it's not, it's not a distraction. It's something you need. It's it's non-food nutrition. Right, right. But think about those things that used to be a distraction and build them back into your day. Call your coworker, talk about your dog, call your parents, talk about your dog, call your best friend, talk about their dog. Right. And, and they're all state changes. And it sounds like trusting your body, like you got to go get go for a walk. You got to get up. You got to be moving. We can't just sit here. And so how did implementing these steps help Pokemon's employees level up over the past couple of years? First, they loved it, which is great. I was delighted that they honestly, like it was the first time I built this. I didn't know if it was going to work. They loved it. They asked me to come back and talk about it again. Obviously, I say yes to them. Obviously, they started telling like Pokemon execs, they started telling their friends about this. And so other people started calling me up saying, Hey, can you come talk to us about this too? Like we want to be productive. Now, over the last year and a half, I got very good at talking about productivity. And now I'm wondering if I should have gotten good at talking about something else instead. The word productivity has some connotations that I don't agree with. Tell me more. I think that when people think about productivity, they think about putting their nose into their laptop and leaving it there for hours on end without stopping. Now, I don't agree. But I think it's probably harder work for me to change the way people use language than it is for me to change the way I use language. And maybe I should have been talking about efficiency and effectiveness instead of productivity the entire time. Yeah. My mistake, my learning, I'm sharing it here right now with you. For your audience, I think that they should think about this in terms of efficiency and effectiveness. What does that mean? It means 
in order to be an effective human, I need to make sure that I fill up my day, not to the brim, but that I fill up my day with the things that I consider important to being an effective human. And all of that stuff that I mentioned, engineering distractions back into your day, actually goes right to that point. I don't stop being a human while I'm here working at my desk. And I need to make sure that I handle my human needs in order to continue to be an effective human because I'm not going to stop being a human. At, at least, I don't think I am anytime soon. Like, nor do I'm, we want to, right? Nor do we want to. <laughs> yeah. The first thing that I want to be effective at is being an effective human. And all of the efficiency that I build into my life should feed into the effectiveness of being an effective human. Well, and I think that's just another reminder of why you left Wall Street to begin with. Yes. Wall Street was work, 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 productivity, head down, focused. I have no life. I don't work out. I have, my relationships are floundering because all I do, right, is work and sleep. I work and sleep. Yep. And I've actually talked to several people who've stepped out of Wall Street. And I, had, and I think I'll, there's you know, a whole generation of people who are like, I don't want to live this way anymore. It may sound glamorous on the front end, but when you realize 10 years later that like, this isn't, this isn't it. So instead you are creating an effectiveness corporation where we can thrive in all aspects. We can thrive at work. We can get great results, but we don't have to sacrifice our humanness. We don't turn into zombies or be robots where we're just going through the motions, but you really are able to thrive um, with your health and with your relationships all while loving what you do as well. Yes, that's exactly it. So tell me a bit about brain state management. Now we can talk about changing our states. Does this include changing how our brain is operating and focusing? Absolutely. And it matters so much. Our brain gets into a rut. And some of the time that's a really good thing. And some of the time it's not quite as effective as we'd like it to be. And so if we understand that our brain gets into a rut and we understand how it does it, then we can also maybe theoretically understand how to put a pebble in the right spot so that it will pop itself back out of the rut. I'm using that metaphor intentionally. <laughs> Changing states is an amazing tool and it is so simple, but it requires you to allow yourself to be human. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say you're in a bad mood. Are you gonna be productive? efficient or effective when you're in a bad mood? No, probably not. If you're in a bad mood, there's probably a reason why. Can you deal with the reason why? Important question. Maybe you can, maybe you can't. If you can't, how long are you willing to allow yourself to stay stuck in that rut? If you can deal with the reason why, then go deal with that so that you can move on. But if you can't, how long are you willing to stay stuck in that rut? There are tools that you can use that will allow you to move on even though you can't deal with the reason why you were in a bad mood. Number one, write it down. One of the things our brain does is it keeps lists. It's just natural. It's part of what we do. We all know that women do a little bit better job of keeping lists than men. But regardless, we all keep lists, every single one of us. And some of the time that list can feel like a list of things that you want to be productive at. Some of that time, the list can feel like a grudge list, right? Some of the time it could be a list of things that you want to do in order to have a really great day and have a whole lot of fun. Whatever the reason, it keeps these lists. Now, your brain knows 
that you have tools at your disposal to help keep the lists. And I'm talking about your brain as as though it's sort of this third party person. And you should think about it that way. That's not incorrect. It's not entirely correct, but it's also not incorrect. Your brain knows that you have these tools to help it keep track of things that are on the list. And it trusts that when you use those tools, that that's effective. So write it down. That's one of the tools that you have that your brain trusts to help you keep track of lists. So as soon as you've written something down, your brain can take it off the list of things that it's keeping track of. It's really cool. It's an amazing, amazing mechanism that is so simple. Yeah. Why am I in a bad mood? Write it down. So now your brain can release that from the list, but you're still in the bad mood. You're still in the state, but, but the reason that you're being held in that state has been released from your brain. So now you just have to move on. You won't get pulled back, but you have to move on. How do you do that? Well, very cool. Again, it goes back to being an effective human. What is it that humans do when they want to change state? Well, we don't know. Actually, I do know, and I'm going to tell you, but we don't have good literature to help you that. But we do know what other animals do when they want to change state. What does a dog do when you just yelled at it? Runs away. (laughs) Sure. And at some point it says, all right, I'm done with this. I need to move on. And it shakes. Oh, yeah. Interesting. It shakes. It does a full body shake. It's a really cool thing. When your body is in motion, it moves the energy. This is true for dogs. This is true for cats. Cats shake too. Not like, like, I mean, they probably do that too, but they do the same kind of shake that a dog does. The whole body goes into motion like this. Humans can do that too. Like I just showed you. Try it. Stand up. Give yourself a full 100% whole body shake. Imagine you're a dog trying to get water out of your, your coat. You will feel different instantly. Trust me. The reason that people don't do this is because it's silly. And we have this idea in our heads that we need to be corporate drones and corporate drones don't do silly things, but effective humans do. Now, if you don't want to shake, you can shadow box. But if you're going to shadow box, I require, and I will be watching you. I'm just kidding. I require that you make Batman sounds. Pow, boom. Shadow boxing works, but you have to make the sounds. You can dance. Dancing is an amazing way to stop the energetic stagnation. It's phenomenal. It works for every single person. So does the full body shake, but dancing works. All of this stuff will move you up out of the rut, but now you're sort of suspended above that rut and you could fall right back in. You're not going to get pulled in because you wrote down what put you there, right? So your brain's not going to pull you back in, but you could still fall in. So you have the freedom to choose a new direction, but you still have to choose that new direction and start moving towards it. Now, our brain, like a computer, our brain accepts programming. This is why meditation is so powerful, because if you get good at clearing your brain and then sitting down and doing a meditation and giving yourself programming, your brain will actually accept it and run with it for a little while. And then it'll get bored because that's what your brain does. It's amazing. So you're suspended above this rut of your bad mood, but you're out of it and you get to choose a new direction to go into. And this is where you need to give yourself programming. Now, I'm going to pause here for a moment. This programming part is really important. People try to use programming all the time. They do affirmations in the morning. They put it on their mirror. They write it down in their journal. Affirmations are an amazing tool 
when you're outside of the rut and they're completely useless if you're not outside of the rut. Meditation, same thing. People try to give themselves meditative programming all the time. They sit down, they try to get into a meditative state, they play some sort of meditation that they pulled down from ohm.com or whatever. Meditation is an amazing tool when you're outside of the rut. But if you're in the rut, meditation can't help you. You have to get out of the rut first. What I just told you, write down the things that pulled you into the rut. Do a full body shake for a couple of minutes. Do shadow boxing for a couple of minutes. Do, a, you know, turn on some salsa and dance to the entire song. It'll be three or four minutes long. You, you really have to separate yourself from that rut and you're suspended above it. Now is when an affirmation is useful. Now is when meditative programming is useful because that's going to help you pick a new direction and start moving that way until your brain gets bored of it. And that's fine. And then now, now you've moved in a new direction. You've given yourself some programming. You've given yourself some affirmations. You've given yourself something that allows you to move forward in some other direction than that rut. But our brain likes ruts. And how do you use that capacity, that sort of built-in capacity to get into a rut as a good thing? Well, if our brain likes ruts and we know how we got into that bad mood rut, why don't we do the same things that got us into the bad mood rut, but we'll do the same things that make a good mood rut. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love that idea. And it works. Come up with an emotional anchor because it was an emotional anchor that put you into that bad mood rut. The same thing can happen in a good mood rut, an emotional anchor that will sit you into this good mood rut. It's still a rut, but it's a good one. It's where we want to go. That emotional anchor Every time you hit a little pebble and try to bounce out of that rut, that anchor is going to pull you right back in. Just like with the bad mood rut, if you didn't write down the thing that was pulling you back in to free your brain from holding on to that, every time you hit a little pebble and bounce out, that bad mood rut, that emotional anchor is going to pull you right back in. We use the same thing for a good mood rut. So yeah. come up with an emotional anchor that will pull you back into it every time you hit a little bounce pull you back into that good mood. It really is neuroplasticity and retraining our brain to default to what it is we want versus defaulting into that rut that we don't want, that stinking thinking, that monkey mind where we're kind of replaying future past events over and over again. None of it's what's happening now, right? I mean, this is powerful because we do a lot of forgiveness work in some of our, in my workshop, 90 day U-turn. And what do we do? We write it down. We shake off the onion layer. You know, and we really work to reprogram our brains so that we don't get stuck again because we don't have to. We really can shift our neural pathways and default. And it's kind of like bowling, I call it, where you're like, it's a gutter ball. Like our thoughts automatically go there. <laughs> but the cool thing is, is now that we know these tools, we can create the gutter that we choose. You know, we can create that thought trap. We can, it can be a good use of like it doesn't have to be for negative all the time like right like we can have default thinking that takes us where we want to go powerful stuff thank you for sharing one final thought and i'm so glad that you do this I, every single one of the your listeners should be calling you immediately when you write something down and free your mind from holding on to it you're not done with that thing so that frees you up for the moment for the next hour two hours maybe even for the whole day or even a week but until you've dealt with that thing that you wrote down, 
to free yourself from that rut momentarily. Until you've dealt with it, it continues to be there. It continues to be an anchor. It will continue to pull you back into a bad mood rut some of the time. So you still have to do the work to deal with that thing that you wrote down. You can't over-program real trauma. You have to work through the trauma. There are things you can do. We just talked about those tricks that will help you move forward in the moment, but you can't over-program real trauma. Whether or not it's something that should be big, if it's big to you, it's big to you. So that thing you wrote down, they need to call you up. They need to get into one of your workshops and work through dealing with that anchor. Yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, I feel like so many, and no, we're all human. We all have stuff, right? That is that baggage that's emotionally holding us down. And I often say we can't create when our, we're emotionally three steps behind, you know, and we're emotionally still thinking about the woulda, coulda, shoulda, I wish. It's going to be trickier to really focus on what we want next and work to create that. So this is a really powerful like I, I, I think that this, these three steps are things that we can do every day when we're stuck at work and we need to like physically get out of things, but also things that we can do on a deeper level to reprogram our brain and our emotions to create a new emotional anchor that's taking us where we want to go. Yes. So Lucas, you have a freebie that I'd love to refer people to. And it really is geared to helping them get their business started. It's helping them to a strategy in a sense to launch their business, to scale their business. And it's for free. So you guys definitely check out lucasroot.com. The link will be in the show notes to download the fail-proof strategy for free. Is there anything you want to add to that before we, you know, do you want to explain any of it or is that good enough? (laughs) Tell us what it is. It's an ebook. It'll walk you through basically the four different strongest pathways to failure in launching your business. And it's in line with stuff that we just talked about today. Yeah, absolutely. Go to lucasfruit.com. You guys check it out. It's free. Strategy is the key. When you have the roadmap to do it, you really don't have to think anymore. It's truly just about execution. And I think oftentimes not having the roadmap is what keeps us stuck in paralyzation. So thank you so much, Lucas, for sharing your wisdom and your experience with us today. I know this episode is going to meet people where they're at and help them to take themselves three steps further. So thank you guys. Have an amazing day and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I want to hear your aha moment from today's amazing episode. If you could leave a review at whatever podcast player you choose to listen from, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you're listening from, leave a review and share with us your favorite part of today's episode. Thanks for hanging out. And remember to dream big.